0: This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm.
1: You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burns.
0: Welcome into the MBFC First and Gold podcast. I'm Kelly Burke, and joining me today on the show, Keith Brake, and you may recognize him as host of the Breakdown, a radio show out of Fargo, where he's also the assistant program director at the Bison 1660. He is the pregame, halftime, and postgame host for Bison football, as well as the play-by-play voice of NDSU women's basketball. Keith, uh, first of all, I want to ask you how you are feeling.
1: I am feeling better than I was 24 hours ago. I'm feeling better than I was 20 minutes ago, honestly, because sitting down and talking to you is just a great little pastime. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, coming off a little Uh, Of of all the times to have it, it's the week before training camp starts, right? That little bacterial throat thing that that uh, I've I've had to deal with from time to time in my travels. You know, I had uh, when I was in Macomb, Illinois, uh, on the road with women's basketball. I did what what we what has become known in the uh, lore of my show as the strep broadcast where I did have something very similar to this and, and went through with a show, but I said, there's no point in fighting this in July. I need to be ready for camp. I took a couple of days off and uh, you know, uh, after just curling up in a ball and feeling miserable for two days. I feel a lot better, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. Really excited to, uh, to finally get on the podcast. This is, this is a lot of fun I've been looking forward to.
0: This is a role reversal a little bit because I'm usually the one on your show, and you're usually the one asking me questions. <laughs>
1: Yes, it is. It is, and and I'm uh, just gonna go off the cuff and go with whatever you've got. So uh, fi- fire away. I have, do your worst. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> As I alluded to, you host a two hour sports talk show Monday through Friday on Bison 1660. Describe the process and the preparation that goes into the show on a daily basis.
1: Well, the the thing is, with a a morning, it's it'd be, it's different with an afternoon show. Because in an afternoon show, you have headlines from the day more than likely that you want to talk about, um, and in, in the off season, which is what we've been doing, uh, sometimes that, that consumption can be right up to the start of the show, trying to find good good things to to open the show with. Uh, but throughout the, the throughout the year, the process it's just a constant process of consumption. You have to consume every single sports story, every single angle. You are finding every single relevant thing for your audience, and maybe some things that are only really relevant to you, but you know that you can be entertaining with, and you know that you can talk about uh, for 20 minutes at a time, Uh, because that's kind of what you have to do. The way my show is structured, we we like to keep the flow going. We like to have longer conversations. You know, If I have a really good guest, which uh, I I will say, I don't think I've ever had a bad guest, I, I like to keep those conversations going for longer, so I'll, I'll keep my guests a little longer, get a little more knowledge from them, and you know we're, we're not squeezed for time on the back end because like we have this extra three minute break we have to fill in. So uh, I, I like to have those longer segments, which means I need to be able to, to talk intelligently about whatever I'm talking about. In football season, it's a whole lot easier because uh, you you find so many things that are readily relevant to your audience so many people come to us for football we were last uh, last year on saturdays in the ratings we were an absolute juggernaut because people came to bison 1664 bison football and uh, basketball still had a good audience baseball softball still had a good audience but football uh when we were just uh it was it was a powerhouse unlike Frankly, unlike anything that, that I have ever experienced working in media, and I've worked at media powerhouses, this is really something unique, the way people converge on football. And so when we get into football season like we are now, uh, it just—it makes life a little bit easier. But the whole process is consumption, just constant, constant, almost sickening levels of consumption. <laughs> I mean, imagine, like, imagine eating an entire cake every day for the benefit of the people around you. Like, the first day, it's fantastic. The 400th day in a row that you've done this, you, you really start to question your sanity. Uh, but that's, that's the life that we live in sports media is this, this constant consumption of, uh, of everything that uh, other people want us to know and want us to have opinions.
0: What about during the dog days of summer? <laughs> when we're not quite to football season yet. And so you're as you said, you're really tapping into your creative juices.
1: Um I I probably shouldn't admit this, but there have been times when my show goes live at four o'clock central. There have been times where at three fifty-five, I don't know what I'm gonna talk about in my first segment. Um and I just you know, you, you, you kinda you skim TV, you you skim the headlines, like, okay, what what can I do with this first twenty odd minutes of my show? How can I get to my first guest, who's going to save me? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes, sometimes we've we've caught we've we've caught some break, but but I think by and large we have made it work. Um, and usually, I'll have some idea of a headline or some other thing. Uh, I have a little bit more sympathy for guys like Colin Cowherd, though, who we just talk about LeBron James nonstop. I totally get it now uh, because sometimes it is just hard to find stuff to talk about because uh, sports just. It's, it's leaner in the summer. You've got baseball, and, um, well, we have two options for local baseball, and we don't have the rights to either of them, and one of the teams is not particularly good, the Minnesota Twins. So we don't really have a ton to talk about on the baseball front. And even then, it's just one sport, and it's not a sport that has a huge – National audience, where you can go talk about what's going on with the Dodgers, and an audience in Fargo, North Dakota, is going to be like, yeah, yeah, the Dodgers. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a it's a completely different animal. But you can do that with the Rams. You can do that with the Seahawks. You can do that with the Cowboys. And an audience in Fargo, uh, it will resonate with them uh, in in a way that talking about the Dodgers or the Mariners or the Texas Rangers wouldn't. Um, so it's it's tough. Um, really where that, that comes into play more, I think though, is later in the show. Like where they're, they're, you know after that first guest, you've got 10, 15 minutes to kill in an hour. Maybe talk about a movie that you went to. Maybe maybe you let that just kind of let that flow go off on some tangents here and there. Talk a little bit more about the lifestyle that you live in the summer. What are you doing when you don't have to be on an airplane at, at, uh, at zero dark 30 every other day of the week? You know, what, that, that kind of lifestyle that you lead. And uh, that way you, you form a relationship with your audience, especially, I mean, if people are listening to us in July, uh, they obviously are not listening to us for football coverage. They're listening to us because they like us. So yeah. uh, anything we can do to strengthen that relationship we want to do.
0: The, the Bison start fall camp this week. What are the three biggest storylines you will be following?
1: Um, well, for me, um, I guess the three big ones, the first one would be the maturation of Easton Stick. Um, I was reading an article this morning from a guy who works at, at EA Sports. He's part of the Madden ratings team, uh, and he does uh, scouting reports. And he ranked Easton Stick as a mid-second-round draft pick uh, in 2019. Uh, He is not the first person to do that, and I sincerely doubt he will be the last. Uh, Watching Easton perform um, with those expectations around him, now that he is a senior, having seen him develop and and, and watching him round out his game is going to be something really fascinating. Um, I'm really interested to see how the team sorts out uh, its depth at linebacker. Uh, because they have three really, really good starters. Jabril Cox is going to be an all-conference linebacker. He could honestly probably be an all-conference defensive end on most teams. He's, <laughs> he's a big guy. He's fast. Uh, they can play him just about anywhere on the field. Uh, they bring back uh, a really, really talented uh, Levi Jordheim to play uh, on the, the other outside position at Dan Marlette as uh, the Mike linebacker who mentored behind Nick DeLuca last year. He was going to play a lot more, uh, but he uh, tore his ACL uh, early in the season, and uh, you know we, we didn't really get to see much of him. But now he's coming back for his senior year. Jorheim is a senior. Uh, Jabril is a sophomore, and he's already grown by leaps and bounds. Um, so those three guys are, are fantastic. The question is, where where's the depth going to come from that the team had last year in those spots? Because you know you're going to need it. Yeah. At some point, somebody's going to get banged up. Chris Board got banged up. Nick DeLuca got hurt. Uh, who, who are the guys that step up? Is, who, who are the... Uh, is it going to be Aaron Mercadel? Is it going to be a guy like Bo Pauly? Who who steps up and, and makes the big plays and and, and plays the big role um, off the bench in a in, in linebacker group? Uh, I guess the other big one would be the position battle at wide receiver. Darius Shepard is... Uh, he's a known entity by this point. Um, he is one of the nicest, humblest guys off the field on the field. He is one of the meanest, most competitive <laughs> uh, uh, son of guns I have seen uh, play his position and, and, and he's got to be because he is by no means the biggest dog in the fight, whatever the fight is. Um, but he just plays hard and he plays with speed and um, you got Des Kane on the other side is an Illinois transfer, uh, try to come into his own, didn't play a ton last year, didn't get a lot of looks. Um, Christian Watson is a guy who's coming back from injury um, that he missed all of the spring, but uh, he is uh, expected to be good to go, I think, in mid-August, so uh, he's someone that there are high expectations for, and then there's a true freshman they think might have a chance to contribute early in, in Phoenix Sproles, mm-hmm. um, so there there are, there, are a lot of other guys in that group as well that I'm overlooking, guys like Dallas Freeman, uh, boy, I, I could go on all day with the wide receivers, but part of that, Kelly, is the fact that there isn't really anything settled about the wide receiver group beyond Darius Shepard is the unquestioned number one guy. But there are a lot of catches to replace with no R.J. Orzandowski. And then you look at the tight ends that they lost, Connor Wentz and Jeff Ilyas. Uh how, how do all of those uh, receptions uh, get passed around? Who do those receptions go to now? Who do those targets go to now? That's a big question for North Dakota State, I think.
0: Is Phoenix, I'm assuming, he's is he related to Darren Sproles?
1: He is. Okay. He is related to Darren. Uh, he is um, he, he's he's one of those guys that just he has an energy and a passion for football about him. Like you can tell it's in the family. Yeah. Um, when when the recruiting class was coming together last year, uh, every, every school has this. They have the leaders on social media that, that keep a class together. You know, when uh, Craig Bow left for Wyoming, it was Easton Stick uh, who kept that recruiting class together. Uh, and they all came in together and, and, and won a couple more national championships and probably might, might even have one more in them. Um, Phoenix was one of those guys. He and Trey Lance were the guys last year. Trey Lance, the quarterback prospect out of Marshall, uh, who they think has a very bright future here as well. Uh, they were guys who were very active, very vocal on social media, supporting uh, other prospects, supporting their teammates, uh, future teammates, even potential future teammates, telling them, hey, this is a good place for you to be. This is a place to be. Really looking forward to, to building something special here with you. You know, Phoenix is one of those guys who I, I have no doubt he's going to have a special career here by the time he's done um, because he just so clearly wants to be here. I mean, regardless of his talent, he just wants to be here. He is all in on the green and gold. And having that attitude when you walk through the door for the first time goes a long way. Yeah.
0: You mentioned Easton Stick, and I'm curious why you think for the majority of his career he's been so unappreciated by especially the national media.
1: Well, I think part of it is, is the fact that he plays in an offense that doesn't require him to throw a lot. And he plays for a team that runs the ball a ton because they're typically ahead in games and they're trying to preserve leads. They don't really need him to throw that much. Uh, so he, he doesn't throw the ball 450, 500 times a year like Devlin Hodges does. I, I made this point um, earlier this summer on my show when uh, Hero Sports put out its All-American teams. Devlin Hodges was the first team All-American quarterback. Easton Stick was second. Uh, and somebody asked me, "Is like, are, are, are you mad? Do you think that was wrong? And it's like, no, not at all. Because remember, Carson Wentz didn't win any All-American awards yeah, when true. he was at North Dakota State. He, he didn't get any sort of national recognition until his senior year when people started really drilling down on the tape on quarterbacks. That's exactly what's happening with Easton. And while Easton might not necessarily have Carson's athletic measurables, uh, I I think he absolutely has the ability to make an impact at the next level. People are starting to see that because they're looking past the numbers a little bit more now. And and some of that is maybe a lack of national TV exposure, but I, I think most of it is just the fact that He's a really exceptional player in his position who has not been tasked to the limit of his abilities yet. Uh, we have not seen the, the absolute most of what he can do. We have not seen a game where he has been asked to just go absolutely bananas and throw for 400 yards because North Dakota State had to have that to win a game. They've never had to have that to win a football game with Easton Stick under center. So uh, I, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think the other aspect of it, uh, the reason that he is getting all this hype is because he's playing in a, a pro-style offense that requires him to be under center, that requires him to make so many reads and adjustments at the line. Um, he is mentally where an NFL quarterback needs to be. He's going to have that ability to slide into an offense right away. So, uh, But as far as getting national recognition— in, in this day and age, if you're good enough, they're going to find you eventually. Um, so I, I think it's really just a matter of going where you fit best and uh, developing and, and and turning yourself into the best football player. You can be, Easton's come to North Dakota State and done just that.
0: How does his personality handle that? He seems like a pretty easygoing, humble guy.
1: <laughs> he's an extremely easygoing guy. Uh, he's very, very relaxed. He's uh, I mean, he's he's a Nebraska farm kid, and he's not from the farm, but uh, he's he's from Omaha. Uh, but he's got that that sensibility about him, the same way that Carson Wentz does. Very modest, very humble, keeps his head down. Uh, he I asked him back in the spring. Uh, I said, Easton, you, the this draft buzz is starting. It's only going to get louder." How, I mean, how are you reacting to this? He says, "There's draft buzz." <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I, I, I haven't read a thing. Uh, East Easton Easton tunes all of that out, and, and he is singularly focused on making himself the best person he can be. He's not worried about what anybody else thinks. He actually doesn't. I, to, to my understanding, he doesn't even have Twitter uh, because uh, he just needed to get away from all the noise. And I was like, "Well, as a media professional, I can't do that," but I still respect the hell out of that. You know, it, it's it's really. Um, he's an impressive kid. He's extremely mature. He's way more mature than I was at his age, uh, as evidenced by the fact that he graduated summa cum laude in three and a half years. Well, I, I graduated limping across the finish line <laughs> at five. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, an exemplary individual. He handles all that pressure with so much grace. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's almost like he has 300-pound men running at him every day. Who would, who, who would imagine?
0: I had read a story because he had gone to the Manning Passing Academy that when he got the call, uh, Archie Manning was the one that called him. And I guess he likes to go to bed early. And so he he was on his way to bed or something and he just didn't recognize the number. So he didn't answer it. And (laughs) then he wakes up up to a call the next morning, a voicemail from Archie Manning, and he thought it was a joke, you know? (laughs) Uh,
1: I did talk to him after he got back uh, from Thibodeau. And and, uh, at Thibodeau, that's where, of course, where Nickel State is. And, uh, I said, so what, what'd you think of the, what'd you think of the turf down in Timbitt? I said, oh, it's hot. That's all he said. He said it was hot. That's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Louisiana for you. Uh, that's, that's Louisiana in a nutshell. It's just, uh, I mean, but it's, it's really special to, to give a quarterback that kind of opportunity. And it's not a, it's not a be all end all thing. You know, Jeremiah Briscoe went there last year and, uh, well, uh, he had draft bus until he came to Fargo in the yeah. semifinals and, and kind of got exposed, yeah. but, um, you know, it's still a recognition of the work that he has put in, uh, and his work ethic is off the charts. Uh, I, I think that's true of probably about ninety-five percent of the players here. Um, it has to be, otherwise, Chris Klein and, and and the rest of this staff. will not really. Uh, they 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 don't they don't tolerate fools very well uh, up here. I mean, they'll they'll give you some grace, but they, they you know when when the time, you know, if, if the time comes, uh, they will they will get in your ear about stuff. Um, but uh, uh, you, you've you got to have a really strong work ethic and a commitment to uh, getting better as a person and a player when you come here. And, and Easton is a great exemplar of that.
0: We saw last season the impact that J- Jabril Cox and Seth Wilson and, and those guys made. Which freshman do you feel like will it be this year that will come in and make an immediate impact? <sighs>
1: If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Phoenix Sproles just because I think he might have an opportunity to make an impact in the return game. That's an area NDSU has been um, kind of dissatisfied, I won't say dissatisfied with necessarily, because it by no means has cost them games, but it, I, I feel like it's something they could get a little more production out of uh, in the long run, and, and if Phoenix has the ability to bring something to that, uh, especially if you pair him on kickoffs with Ty Brooks, my goodness, that level of speed is just incredible, and it's one less rep that Bruce Anderson has to take. It's one less rep Darius Shepard has to take. You're insulating your seniors a little bit, and you're giving this freshman an, an opportunity to contribute. How much would he contribute on offense? I don't really know. I can't really say. Um, but I think he's kind of the guy that that I've got circled especially with the red shirt rule change um, as somebody who is probably going to get all four games to show what he's got
0: yeah as far as the injuries were a big factor last year you know you have season any ones to guys like Greg Menard you mentioned Dan and then you had guys missing pockets of time like a, a Levi so who mm-hmm. do you who do you see out of that group that will have the biggest bounce back here this year?
1: Oh, Greg, no question. Greg Menard, absolutely. I mean, Greg was going to be an NFL prospect last year. He tore his ACL the first Saturday of camp uh, and that was that was the end of his season. And, uh, you know, he, he focused on his academics and he's he's got a little he's got a, a little thing here and there to, to to put the finishing touches on. But uh, he's going to graduate with an engineering degree. Uh, and, and I think he's going to go on to a professional football career if he wants it. The guy is just an animal. I mean, he just <laughs> has a he has a, an, 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 an exceptional instinct for how to disrupt the timing of the quarterback. Um, it's it's truly fun to watch. And when you throw him in with some of these other guys, uh, we really saw the emergence of of Derek Tuska last year uh, because Greg got hurt. We, We saw more reps for Tuska. And, I mean, you know, big, long South Dakota farm kid Paired with a, a guy like Greg Menard, that's going to be a fearsome duo. And then the, the, the buys aren't even done. You throw in Stanley Jones. They put uh, 25 pounds on Spencer Wagey. He redshirted last year. Uh, they put uh, they, You put Caleb Butler back in there, a guy who just lowers his head and bull rushes anything you put in front of him. Uh, Logan McCormick is back as well. This is another stocked defensive end group. For North Dakota State, this whole defensive line is full of guys who can get to the quarterback. Uh, that's just going to make Greg that much better. He's going to shine that much brighter because of that, uh, and, and he's going he's gonna to elevate the entire defense, I think, because you now have to account for 96 and green again. You have to know where he is on the field at all times, or your quarterback's going to pay for it.
0: You're around this team quite a bit. What have you observed about this program that has allowed them to maintain the edge year to year to continue to be championship caliber year in, year out?
1: I think there's a real dedication to craft here. Um, It's, it's, it's not about, not even necessarily about developing the best individuals. It's about everybody buying into the idea that we are all here for the same purpose. And that purpose is winning a national championship. Um, The, the idea you come here for something bigger than yourself it's, it's the same idea that's at play at any championship caliber program right? Uh, it, was, it was at play at Notre Dame at the height of its powers it's in play at Alabama to some extent it's definitely in play over at Clemson um, you, you are going to this university for something that is much bigger than just you you want to get something out of it but you're going to get out of it what you put into it and what you put into it is going to lead us to victory. If you put everything you have into it, it's going to lead us to a championship. Uh, I, I think everybody kind of gets that message. That message resonates with everybody. If it doesn't, typically they they don't they don't come here in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's uh, it, it's that attitude that everybody here has that allows them to buy in. And and I also think there is. Uh, something that maybe some of the other big programs around the country are missing is a family atmosphere. You know, this is still the upper Midwest. It's still a metropolitan area of 240,000. Maybe it's 250 now. I don't know. It it seems like it gets bigger every day. Certainly the traffic on the interstate is worse every day, but uh, it's, it's not a big city by any means. And yet there is this huge passion at following uh, and there is this very tightly knit community. And it's not just the football team. It's the whole athletic department. This is an athletic department wide culture. Uh, when you talk about, you know, the softball team and, and the volleyball team and the basketball teams, and the soccer team, they they all rally around each other. Uh, almost all of them have similar locker room space. They all share a weight training space and all of these things. Uh, they've got a great new world-class facility to, to utilize for all of that as well. Uh, so... It's, it's just a it's a it's a unique atmosphere here. It's very much a family. And that pushes you to be your best. And when you are your best, you give everything you have for the family. That's when you succeed. And, and that's what you have to do to do what North Dakota State has done.
0: This is the second year of Courtney Messingham as the offensive coordinator. Uh, last year, the Bison ranked number two nationally in scoring offense. But but where do you feel like this offense can still get better?
1: I, I think there have been some times where pass protection has been a bit of an issue. Um, some of that was you know inexperience in the offensive line. Um, and some of it was just, I mean, injuries kind of piled up a little bit. You know, they lost Dylan Radins, uh the first game of the year against Mississippi Valley State, a guy who looked like he had a shot to be the starting left tackle um, as a redshirt freshman, which tells you a lot about, about just how insanely good that young man has to be yeah. to be the starting left tackle at North Dakota State as a redshirt freshman. But, uh, you know, losing a guy like that hurts. Um, I, I think uh, Mess would have liked to have seen his running backs maybe sell out a little bit more. On pass protection, you know, you want to keep the defense honest, but at the same time, your running backs are back there to protect the quarterback in those situations. And uh, that was something that I I think got cleaned up as the season went along, but was a sore spot early. Um, But Mess has done a tremendous job of uh, not getting stuck in a particular course of action. He does not get tunnel vision and say, we have to run this play, this play, this play, this play. Uh, he does a fantastic job of telling everybody, listen, we're going to take what the defense gives us. We're going to find the best matchups, and we're going to beat them over the head with our best matchups. Um, and so I, I really love that about him. He's very versatile he utilizes all of the weapons in this offense in, in so many different ways, and he has so many different weapons. This team has six running backs out of the chute uh, this year, Kelly. And of course, we, we said that last year they ended up with two and a half <laughs> yeah. healthy running backs for yeah. the national championship. But uh, you know, the, this this group is uh, it's got he's got a lot of talent to work with, and I, I think he's going to have this group operating at at optimum efficiency from from the jump. Uh, again, in, in 2018. But if there were one thing that I could say Mike could do with it a little bit better would be pass protection just in general. Um, but the, the, the addition of Dylan Radins to the offensive line, uh, another year in the weight room for a guy like Seth Wilson, that's going to help a lot.
0: My conversation with Keith Brake continues in just a second. But if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Goal podcast, check out all the lineup media group offerings, sports and non-sports podcasts. Now back to the show. Which game on the NDSU schedule concerns you the most?
1: At Northern Iowa. Uh, I, I think that, that, that might be the toughest game they play all year. Uh, Delaware is going to be really good. Uh, I think people have kind of underrated them a little bit because, you know, last year, 7-4 and four under Danny Rocco. Uh, they missed the playoffs, didn't have a quarterback, struggled to move the football. But Delaware's got some dudes on defense. And uh, if they have found a quarterback, which it sounds like they have, um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But the Bison are at home for that game, and it's difficult to come in here and, and, and uh, you know, slay the lion in the yeah. lion's den, so to yeah. speak. There's only there, there are not many teams... That have been able to do that over the years. Um, I, I would say the toughest game on the schedule for them is going to be at UNI. Uh, I think it's going to be an absolute slobber knocker. Uh, UNI is going to have some time to get their defense together because they're replacing some key pieces there. Uh, I'm really eager to see how Eli Dunn matures. I think having a full season of Marcus Weimiller is going to help him out a ton in the backfield. Um, he's also going to be without his top target though in Doris Fountain who's off to the National Football League uh, but I, I think that UNI team could be really, really good. I think Youngstown could be good as well. And, of course, South Dakota State will come in here and give the Bison a game. Uh, but, again, those two are at home. You go on the road to the Unidome. That's a that's a difficult place to go play and go win. It always has been, probably always will be, even, if, even for a team that has national championship aspirations.
0: This Bison team is already being compared to the 2013 team that went undefeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Despite not playing a down yet. So why do you feel like this team is equipped to handle and navigate, you know, the weight of all those pressures?
1: There's a poise about the leadership group here that I really like. Uh, And it's not necessarily the older guys. It's not just the Greg Menards and the Robbie Grimsleys and and the Jalens on defense or, you know, Easton Stick and and Bruce Anderson, Lance Dunn, Darius Shepard on offense. It's the young guys, too. Jabril Cox is battle tested, and he shows that every single day. He is a lead by example type of guy. He wants to be the first man into any scrum, the first man on on the ball at all times. Like he just he loves to to set the tone for the rest of the defense. Um, you know, Josh Hayes is a guy who's battle tested now at corner. Marquise Bridges was somebody who came in in a pinch last year, uh, was converted to wide receiver in the fall or from wide receiver in the fall of 2016 to cornerback so he'd been a corner for about a year he came in against Sam Houston State after a couple of injuries and, and picked off Jeremiah Briscoe twice then got another pick in the national championship game a few weeks later so uh, I mean he's a guy who is is just ready to, to get out there and play he's got the experience to, to to go out there and lead if the situation calls for him to lead it's kind of like it's almost like everybody has a general's baton in the backpack, so to speak, when, when this when this team g- takes the field. Uh, anybody can step up and lead at any given moment. Anybody who needs to be the guy can go be the guy. And when you have a team like that, that's got that kind of leadership, you know that everybody's going to keep their composure. Nobody's going to lose their cool. Nobody's going to take a, a silly unsportsmanlike penalty that's going to cost you 15 yards at some point. Uh, you, you can... You can really start to trust everybody to do their own jobs, and it just makes the whole process that much easier. So uh, I think this team definitely has the ability to run the table. I think every single game on the schedule is a game that you can look at and say, I have I have confidence that, that North Dakota State can win this game. Um, there are some games that are more concerning than others, some games that will pose a bigger challenge than others. Um, but I think it's the, the leadership, the right intersection of – veterancy and uh youthful energy that really makes this team stand out uh among the the north dakota state teams we've seen the past few years i'm not ready to compare anybody to 2013 yet though i i still gotta i still want to see how this team looks the first couple weeks on the field
0: does it concern you at all when you think about the playoffs that the Bison have seven home games on their schedule.
1: Not at all, because I think the expectation is that North Dakota State will be at home for at least one, and possibly two, if not all three rounds of the playoffs uh, that they would be playing and The the expectation, yeah. of course, being the Bison are going to find their way to a first round bye. Uh, I, I I don't I don't I think the expectation is North Dakota State will not play uh, a road game after. Uh, uh, the uh, end of the regular season until Frisco. Like yeah. their their next road trip will be Frisco. Yeah. Um. So which is that end?
0: Which isn't yeah. even really a true road game. You know, it's no, a new, it's, it's a neutral a site game,
1: right? Right. It's a it's a neutral site game, and and you know they they send you know twelve fifteen thousand people down there every year anyway. So uh, I um no, I, I don't think that's a concern at all. Uh, it's something actually that the athletic department stresses. They want to have seven home games. They want the fans to have the opportunities to pack the Fargo Dome and and watch this team play as much as possible. Which is exactly what you would expect from a power football program. That's what uh, that's what the SEC teams do. It's what they do in the Big Ten, Pac-12. You know they they load up the home slate. They'll load up the home slate with wh- whoever's willing to make the trip to Fargo and uh, give their fans as many chances to see the team as they can.
0: You worked at IMG College Sports for several years, and uh, this is obviously before you took the job in Fargo, but tell me about some of the high-profile universities that you you worked with and your role.
1: Well, I was a, a studio host and producer, so um, <clears throat> IMG, the way the offices are set up is everybody has a cube, and inside the cube, uh, as obviously all the things you need to conduct a nine-to-five office job. But also all of the equipment you need to run a radio, radio remote. Uh, so you've got, you know, your access, and you've got like ISDN units and things, and a little box under the desk. Uh, there's a giant Mackie board uh, with all the sliders and the auxes and everything sitting on the desk, front and center. There's computers with all the software you need on it. Everything is in. Everything is built in to every stu. Every office in the building. Every office is also a studio. So uh, they run. Um, Probably about 50, 60 schools um, at, 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 at their peak um, out of a hub in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, they have a ton of football broadcasts every Saturday. Uh, every office is in use. Some of them are in use more than once. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's this huge enterprise. Um, as for schools... I could probably give you the full list, just ramble through all of them, and you can edit it down later. Um, but just to, just to hit the highlights, my primary assignment was uh, the University of Connecticut, UConn Huskies. So I did uh, football and men's and women's basketball with them. And my yes. first year was uh, 2013-14 when the basketball teams w- both won the national title.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also worked with, um, I did a broadcast with the University of Notre Dame. Um, I did a broadcast with the University of Kentucky um goodness uh arkansas uh michigan got uc i did ucla for a little bit uh washington golly i could i can i'm just trying to dance around the country florida vanderbilt um south carolina i'm a little all over the place right now with them but those are those are some of the big ones um, and I could just, I, mean, I probably worked with about half the Mid-American conference as well. Okay. Um, and a, a lot of schools, uh, around the country, several Mountain West institutions that IMG had the rights to, uh, as well, which, uh, I mean, it was so much fun. It was weird hours, and, but it was, sure. it was good, it was good pay yeah. and I, I certainly enjoyed it. But, you know, Fargo presented me such a good opportunity. I, I eventually did have to make the jump, uh, but IMG gave me a great launch point for my career.
0: That's great. How aware of all the allure and everything surrounding NDSU football before you took the job?
1: My first real exposure to North Dakota State was actually the 2013 season, Um, you know, when uh, when Brock Jensen took him down the field and uh, beat Kansas State, um, you know, on that that epic fourth quarter drive. That was that was pretty incredible to watch. And uh, of course, they go on and they win another national championship that year. And boy, I, I was just I was in awe of this team. It's like this is this is Fargo North This is this is nowhere. What? This is this is a Cohen Brothers movie. Where's the woodchipper? And then they had Game Day there the next year and lo and behold there's the woodchipper. You know, it's just uh it was um it was it was fa- I was fascinated by it. Uh I was fascinated by the idea that a uh what, what was essentially thought of as a little town in flyover country out on the prairie uh could turn into this football superpower and uh, the more time went by, and and of course, you know, the the exposure to Carson Wentz that didn't hurt either. Um, it was uh, I was I was very aware of the uh, uh, certainly the recent history, and that was the whole reason I was intrigued by the opportunity to come up here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, was because of the recent history, and <clears throat> of course the uh, the change in media rights and all, all the opportunities that that opened up for me, the launch of a new sports talk station and, and all that, but. Um, if, if it weren't for the successes of Craig bowl and those, those Brock Jensen teams and those Carson Wentz teams, I wouldn't be here at all.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. You do. So aside from all the football stuff you do, you do play by play for women's basketball. And it seems like almost every NDSU sport under the sun, <laughs> um, which sport though has really tested you in terms of just learning curve from a broadcasting standpoint?
1: Volleyball, I can answer that without hesitation. Volleyball is so fast; um, it's 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 not like basketball where there's uh, a, a enough. There's a rhythm to it, but it's I don't want to say it's lazy necessarily, but it's like leisurely enough that you have time to get all the information in. You do not have time to get all the information <laughs> in in volleyball. So you true. have to go like you have you have one speed and that is go. Uh, <laughs> I I had an analyst the first year and she barely had time to talk. Um, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was, it, that was a huge, <clears throat> huge adjustment to make, uh, to the speed of volleyball. I think I've just about got the hang of it. We'll find out this fall, uh, they have a, a volleyball matches on this year, um, which is, uh, is always a lot of fun and, and that's a, a really exciting program to be around as well because they've got a lot of youth and a lot of energy and, uh, a new head coach who's, uh, a, a legend around the program, uh, they're, uh, they, they could be really good. Uh, again, this year as well. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But volleyball is the one that's probably challenged me the most, just in terms of speed, because I cut my teeth in baseball. Yeah, And baseball oh, and volleyball, totally as opposite. you can imagine. Yeah. Lee,
0: oh, I yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: they're, they're very, very different.
0: I had a similar experience. Um, I started doing volleyball maybe three years ago, probably around the same time you did. I started yeah. as an analyst. I, I've done some play by play, though. But yeah, I was a it was a little bit different beast to deal with in yeah. terms of being succinct as an analyst to be able to talk uh, and uh, just even you know from the x's and o's standpoint i you know if you don't if you have if you don't play the game at a really high level i don't think as a general fan you understand the intricacies and just how much strategy is involved in the sport
1: yeah well i actually got my start in college at east tennessee state about 2010 um so that was And that was just, like, smacked in the face with the learning curve there. Uh, You know, 20-year-old broadcaster, never even seriously watched volleyball in his life, no idea what he's looking at, just trying to keep up as best he can. Yeah. Um, No, I was much better with soccer at the time. Um, I I like to think I still am, although uh, I will advocate for teams to stop wearing white numerals on white jerseys. Please, (laughs) please end that. Um, that That is just, that is repugnant. For a broadcaster, especially when you know the player's 100 yards away from you on the other side of the field, you really just have to guess at that point, yeah. um, which I don't like doing. I, I'm very detail-oriented. I'm a perfectionist. I don't like doing that at all. Um, but uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I started out with uh, soccer and volleyball at East Tennessee State. Then I got a little baseball in. I got a little softball in that way as well. Uh, went, uh, went the minor league baseball route for a couple years. Decided that wasn't for me. IMG was working, and IMG led to this. So um, I, uh, I overall can't express dissatisfaction with where I got to, uh, but in, in some ways, especially with volleyball in particular, it felt like I was just learning all over again when I started calling games <laughs> up here.
0: Keith, you're a published poet. Where did that interest yes. develop? It's very <clears> – <throat> uh, I don't hear that very often.
1: Um, I Yes, I, I had a poem published in um, a university literary magazine, my senior year of college. Uh, it was about baseball, because of course it was. Um, <laughs> called Walk Off. And um, it's... Uh, I, that that love started with a guy who is also... a Like, he's an actual poet. He's a poet. In, he's the poet in residence, I believe, now in East Tennessee State. His name is Jesse Graves. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I met him. I was 19 years old. And this guy felt like... like I was just like, he gets me. You know, he made everything... Uh, about this highfalutin literary criticism artsy world relatable to me uh you know lunkhead 19 year old keith break uh and just opened me up to a whole new world and and uh, a whole new side of myself like i got to explore my creativity with it um i had a late opening in my schedule my uh the fall of my senior year and um well no it was the spring of my senior year and i uh i said what if what if I took creative I saw creative writing with Jesse Graves I was like well let's let's try this let's see what it is I had no idea it was actually going to be writing poetry and the first <laughs> I, I wrote a poem at the beginning because he asked us to do it and it was terrible it, I mean it was just the worst thing it was like it was like Edgar Allan Poe but worst um just very jingle jangle nursery rhyme level garbage and I was ashamed of it and I I just tore it to pieces went back completely redid it Um, and was actually kind of proud of how I salvaged it. But uh, poetry is interesting. I haven't really written a lot in the last couple of years just because I haven't had time to just slow down and decompress and put thoughts to the page. But um, going back and reading some of that stuff and seeing the headspace I was in at the time is really cool. Um, It's just another means of communication, another way of utilizing the tools that we use in broadcasting uh, to uh, express emotion, to express any sort of uh, sensory experience. It's, it's something that I, I really enjoyed at the time. I enjoy looking back on. I would love to just, you know, spend a, spend a month or two sitting at a, sitting by a pond, you know, walking through the woods like uh, Henry David Thoreau or something uh, and, uh, and, and doing all that again. I probably won't get to for another 40 years, but uh, I, I would love to do that.
0: Interesting side story. So I grew up for ten years in New Hampshire. So okay, Rob, oh. Ro- Robert Frost is from. Do you ever have yes, you? Ever, he is. Yes. So uh, second and third grade, I spent a lot of time. We had to memorize a lot of his poems. So I'm very familiar with the work of Robert Frost.
1: Yes, yes. Robert Frost is one of my favorites. He's, he's sometimes he was he used to be really snarky about stuff too. Like he's he's a very interesting guy. Very interesting wit. Uh, I, I mean, everybody loves the. Um, <clears throat> was the two roads diverged in a wood and they all use like oh yeah follow your own path it's like well that that's actually taking that completely out of context because he sounds like he regrets what he uh what he actually did it was just it was just the funniest part of the whole thing is like uh uh he uh if you read the whole poem it's like uh someday i'll tell this with a sigh ages and ages hence uh, well yeah he doesn't he's not really happy with his choice he wasn't happy that he took the path he took and uh, you know everybody uses that as some sort of motivation i I find that especially funny now that i 've read the whole thing uh, <laughs> but I, I i yeah i I love Robert Frost. I love a lot of the poets from that time. My favorite when I was in college, and uh I, he admittedly has a lot of warts and a lot of flaws but uh t s eliot was oh, was yeah. one of my favorites okay. um i i I love some of his especially some of his earlier material was just really captivating you know I, I, there was there was a there was a bleakness to it that was interesting uh, it was it, it it created this image in my head that didn't exist before of a yeah. world that didn't exist before you know because it was from you know the time of World War one and he was living in London and you know it felt like the end of all things for a lot of people at the time so you know getting getting some insight into that world. Uh, was was pretty cool, and, and getting that through a poet like that was really neat as well.
0: You also noted in your bio that you're a halfway decent cook. So emphasis
1: on halfway. <laughs> yes.
0: I'm curious what your specialty is. You know, if you're, let's say, you're, you know, you're trying to impress your girlfriend and c- cook her a good meal or something. What are you making? Oh God,
1: I hope I don't have to impress her at this point. Um, but uh, no, I know I, uh, I I I'm good with Italian. Okay. I, actually, I, as I find, I find Italian is is kind of safe. Uh, but it's also like it's a good canvas to work from you can throw in some some different spices and mix things up and not necessarily vary your ingredients all that much uh, but you can still get different flavors from it so I, I'm I'm a big Italian guy uh, myself um, I'll occasionally throw some steaks on the grill but I admit that I'm not good at it I let other people do that work for me uh, I have no problem paying a market premium for that <laughs> that's it's like, you know, there's, there is no shame for me in paying for quality. Go, go for it, guys. Uh, but no, Italian is kind of where I made my, made, made my living in college, quite literally made living in college. Um, so that's, that's where I have stayed. I haven't really cooked that much in a while. I might have to get, have to get home and get over the stove. We'll see.
0: <laughs> Keith, anything else we should know about you or Bison football or NDSU athletics before we sign off?
1: Uh, I don't know. You want to be here another twenty minutes? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I. I mean, honestly, Kelly, you you've got more than one of these coming up, so it, it's it's fine. Uh, I I would be happy to be on another one sometime and, and leave some other biographical stuff for later. But I just I'm really honored and humbled that that you would have me on. Um, it's uh it's it's really cool to to be part of this this um, wacky wild ecosystem of, of college sports uh, in, in such a way that that now I, I am the person who is on these things rather than just the person who consumes them and goes wow that guy seems really interesting or wow that guy seems really pretentious you know <laughs> and I'm sure you'll probably get both reactions to this podcast but uh, I, I just thank you so much for having me on it's it's been a real pleasure and uh, uh, looking forward to a great college football season. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I'm looking forward. I'm coming on your show later today, so uh, looking forward to that, and I appreciate you taking the time as always and, yeah, just ready to get this football thing going.
1: Absolutely.
0: If you like what you heard from Keith Brake and our MVFC First to Goal podcast, please take a minute to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other sports podcasts, shows like Chase and Pucks with Panger, behind the eight ball, and coach your brains out. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher.
1: Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Burke. The official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts.